Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. All right, so hey, we've been in our series. What's it, what's it called? Come on now. I've had, so many, I've had so many people tell me, it's like, I'm using that all the time now. Like, even when I'm, when I'm in work meetings, I find myself saying it, and I hear when everyone says it. It is what it is. And this series, the reason why we called it that is because the book of James, which is the book we're walking through verse by verse over the summer, is just the very is what it is book. He does not sugarcoat the James who was a half-brother of Jesus James, who was one of the 12 disciples, James, who was the leader of the very early church in Jerusalem, does not sugarcoat. He tells it like it is. Do you have people in your life, they can't beat around the bush, they just tell you how it is. Maybe that's you. If that is you, raise, raise your hand. And people are like, good Lord, you just say it. You don't even think about how to say it. You just say it, right? Well, this is what the book of James is. It's like it is what it is. And so we have been talking through, working through through this. And last week, we talked about, or we, we, we actually, I did something that I had never done in the life of our church ever. I took a sermon and broke it up into two parts. If you've come to our church for any amount of time, you know I preach a long time. It might be because I stutter, and it just goes longer, okay? But, but also, too, um, I, I try to fit a lot in. Why? Because I want to give you a good meal. Like, I want to fill you with the vegetables, the, the dessert, the meat and potatoes. Like, I want to give it all to you, and sometimes that, that can make me go a little bit long. But I figured last week, I'm going to have to split this one up because this is going to be 75 minutes. And no one wants to sit through a 75-minute sermon, okay? So last week, though, we, ta- we started the sermon called The Two Trajectories of Temptation. And while I was studying uh, our scripture text, James 1, 13 through 18, it was hard not to talk about temptation without talking about desire because desire plays so much into temptation. Because if you don't understand desire, it's hard to defeat temptation. It's almost like if you don't deal with, with desire, like understanding and processing desire equips you to fight the fight of temptation when the fight happens. It's almost preparing you to win before you fight. How many of you guys know that you can, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail? And I believe as we do temptation, if we don't, and what I challenged you last week is deconstruct desire. Why do you desire what you desire? It's been encouraging. Like people, you know, you know people, like people taking me up on the offer to deconstruct desire, people saying, I, w- I want to know why I desire what I desire. Because when we get in there and we see how our desires have been curated, how our desires have been shaped and, and formed, it puts some tools in our hand that when we get in the battle of temptation, we're actually ready to fight it. Because here's the thing, the battle is won or lost before the battle's fought. Let me give you an example. You would not be tempted with ice cream at night if you made a decision at the grocery store to not buy it. So the temptation, like, do you see how the battle is won or lost before it's fought? But this is in so many areas. Like, you would not be tempted to buy something that you don't need to impress someone you don't like 
if you maybe left your credit cards at home. But you have a just in case. When you know you straight, you can make a call. But so it's, it's like you have to make decisions before the temptation comes. And, and, and so that is what dealing with desire does. Is it, is it helps us to then as we dive into temptation, that we are prepared for it and adequately understanding it. Okay? Now, one thing that we prayed last week that we're going to pray once more this week. You can stand up with me. Um, we're going to prepare ourselves to dive into God's word today. And I do this because my hope in prayer is that as we go to God's word today, this is not a box to check for you. That there is something inside of your soul that is like, I know I'm tired. I know I got a lot going on. I know after this, I got this going on, that going on. But my prayer is that we would lock in for 40 minutes today and say, Lord, my heart is open. My mind is alert. Lord, I am, I am like a beggar needing your word. I'm like a hungry person craving a meal at a buffet. Like, Lord, would you speak to me? Because what I've seen is that what you hunger for, you typically find. And so my prayer is that, at, that if we have a hunger for God's word and a preparation for God's word, the Holy Spirit will speak to each of you in a way you need today. Because I'm not that good to talk to everyone where everyone's out, but the Holy Spirit is. And that's what this prayer is. It's a prayer, Lord, I'm open, I'm receptive, I'm available. Would you come and speak to me? Would you just right now, we're just going to lift up hands if you feel comfortable. If you don't, no, no worries at all. But I'm going to start praying, and would you pray this, and would you join in and pray this with me? Lord. Give me revelation as I embark into the deep waters of my soul today. Give me understanding of your word, grace with myself, and a desire to obey what your best is. Amen. You can stay standing with me. We're going to read our scripture text one more time today. This is James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Excuse me. Had, uh, had to there was bacon donuts. Did anyone else have bacon donuts? Aren't those things heavenly? Like, those are from the throne of God. Okay, that's all that I'll say. All right, uh, verse, number thir- thir- uh, verse number 13, it says this, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. If temptation comes from, from our own what? Desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful what? actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. Love God's word. You can be seated. So three thoughts really quick about temptation that I mentioned briefly last week, but I want to bring up to prepare us to go down this path of two trajectories of temptation. The, the first thought is this. God doesn't tempt us. He's not a cosmic matador, okay? So for those of you who are driving home and you're trying to eat good and the red light comes on at Krispy Kreme, you don't say, God did that to test me. No, he didn't. You've got a desire for these donuts. It's your desire that drags you off and makes you kind of like, want to do certain, 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 certain things, right? So God doesn't tempt you. Secondly, temptation stems from our desires. As we talked about last, last week, our, our desires because of sin can be distorted. So we have to explore them and deconstruct them so we can know why do I have this? So, you know, so it helps you be alert and aware of your desire. And kind of the best way that I describe this, and what I've told people 
that, you know, that, you know, last week I shared about how my desire was to grow our church, but in this desire, it became distorted because it became all about numbers, and I had to deconstruct that desire of why I wanted the church to grow, and the Lord has had to do a lot of restorative work inside of me, so I don't view the church as something that I view my identity in. The church is God's, and I'm good apart from the church. I don't, I don't, need it so I can love and serve it well. So like the, the way that I have described like the growth inside of, uh, of me when it comes to being able to examine desire and almost be a little more self-controlled is I explain it like this. Imagine I'm sitting in a chair looking out, toward, looking out towards my life, okay? And what I feel like Doing the hard work of self-awareness, examining your desires, and having the spirit-inspired gift of self-control is you have the ability that as you're sitting in a chair looking out towards your life, you can actually step outside of yourself and you can actually view and see what is going on. Okay? So hopefully you guys can visualize this with me. You're sitting in the chair, you're looking out towards your life, and you, you know all the different stuff your life and, you know, is, is, is composed of all the different responsibilities. But I almost feel like there is this, like, spirit that has jumped back that basically I can see myself sitting, but I've got a clearer picture of what is going on around me. Okay? So then when something, pop, pop, when something pops up, this spirit inside of me says, I see you. I know who you are. I know what that desire is, and I know where you lead. Get. Right? And it's like I've got this clear picture of why I'm desiring what I'm desiring. So then, so, so then when the desire comes, I'm, I have the ability to, to discern its root, its cause, and where it leads. Okay? And that's what I'm talking about is my prayer is that you would have the ability is as you are living your life, you'd almost have this ability to step out of the, the desire and out of the moment and almost be able to have this spirit-inspired self-control of knowing where the desire is coming from, why it's there, and having the ability to say, nope, or yep, I know you're pure, I know you're clean, come on in. Does that make sense? Why? Because I think that is, a, that is what, like, when the scripture talks about self, self-control. You've got control over yourself. And you're not a big ball of desire, but it's just whatever, whenever, however. You have the ability to say yes to what you need to say yes to, no to, to, to what you say no to. You can say yes to honoring God and no to following whatever the, the devil or your flesh is trying to tell you to do. Okay? So, but the thing is this, right? Temptation has a trajectory as well. And you can see this in scripture when it says your desire leads to the temptation. Temptation leads to the sinful action. The action, once it's done, leads to death. So it's saying the trajectory of continually giving in to, to temptation and things that is not God's best eventually leads to physical and spiritual death. Now, I want to remind you as we're diving into temptation about this book. This is called a Bible. I know people don't like typically have Bibles now. They have phones that have Bibles on them, right? But I need you to be 100% sure of that when we dive in today and we talk about temptation, you have a clear picture of the purpose 
of this book. Because we're going to look into two temptation narratives and stories that really talk to us about how to handle temptation in a good way and how to, and how to handle temptation in a not so good way, but they both come from this book, and we have to make sure we have a proper understanding and a proper clarity on the purpose of this book. When Paul was writing to his pastoral protege, Timothy, this is what he said. He said, all scripture is God-breathed. That, that means inspired by God, meaning that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, inspired imperfect people to write perfect words to instruct us and train us. This is what it says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, let's say these words together. Ready? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we say, what is the purpose of this book? It is to teach us. So we are a student. We need to be rebuked. Doesn't everyone love that? Doesn't everyone love that whenever you read the Bible, it actually is reading you? This is like opening a big fat mirror. Because, you, you know, the Bible didn't just happen, the Bible happens. This, this book is literally a story about humanity. This is a story about how we as people operate and function. So whenever we read stories about Couple, you know, a couple thousand years back, it's just not like, well, we've grown so much since then. Yeah, we've progressed. We've had this great trajectory towards just beautifulness. No, the brokenness we see in this book is the same brokenness inside of us. And that's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. It doesn't shield us from junk, even, even from its heroes. It exposes its heroes. Noah, he built the ark. He also got drunk and naked. I'm sorry, if you are a kid here, you will not learn that in children's church, okay? <laughs> Moses split the Red Sea and murdered someone. David killed Goliath. But he also slept with someone else's wife and had her husband murdered. Welcome to the Bible. It's a book of blessing, but a book full of brokenness. And so what I want us to make sure of is that as we go to, to this book, we know this book is to teach us rebuke us, correct us, and train us. And, and what does it say? So the servant of God, those, the people of God, may be thoroughly what? Equipped. You've got tools in your pocket ready to go to equip you to go through this life in a God-honoring way. So, so what my heart and hope is today is that you will be equipped to handle and think through and process temptation. Now, here's the thing. Temptation runs the gamut. Like, some of y'all are tempted by sex. Some of y'all are tempted by money. Some of y'all are tempted by pornography. Some of y'all are tempted by shopping. Some of you are tempted by fantasy sports. Some of you are, are tempted by anger, rage. Some, like, temptations are all over the board here, right? Why? Because we're all different, right? So I'm just not going to address one temptation because I, I'm, when I preach, my goal isn't to tell you what to do. It's to help train you how to think because I'm not always going to be with you to tell you what to do. My heart and my goal is to preach in a way that helps you think about things differently that you then can take and apply to your life. So when you are tempted, you can say, well, well John said, don't pretend to bother. No, no, it's like you have been trained to think through temptation. It's the same way, like I, I, I think of it as I'm training my kids, as I'm training Jacks, I just don't want them to always have to rely on my voice. Because there's going to be a time where my voice is not going to be there. But my what can be there? My influence. 
So that's what I'm thinking as we're talking about temptation. My hope today is we're going to dive into God's word, look at two temptation narratives that will hopefully put tools in your hands to thoroughly equip you to handle whatever temptation you have or whatever temptation comes your way. Are you all good with that? You ready to dive, dive in? I'm going to talk quick. Can you all listen quick? All right. Well, let's go ahead and do it. So two temptation narratives that really represent two natures that we all have running inside of us. You have got the nature of Genesis chapter 3 and the nature of Luke and Matthew chapter 4. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Luke and Matthew 4 is Jesus. I don't know if you have seen, if you've been reading Jesus, but whenever you read his words, Jesus was very binary. So he probably could not have survived in the 21st century. <laughs> Sorry, I thought, that was, I thought that was funny. But um, because Jesus said it is like there's a wide path and a narrow path. Wide and narrow. He said there's a solid rock foundation and sand. He said some will be wheat, some will be chaff. Some will be sheep, some will be goats. Do you see how he was, there wasn't like there's three ways. Like no, there was two ways. And what we find with temptation, and even when, we're, when, when I'm talking to fathers and dads and guys today, since it is Father's Day, can we just pause right now and say happy Father's Day to all the fathers with us? Don't forget, we're going to be drawing for the free grill, which if you are like, what, we're giving away a free grill? I will give you permission right now. Oh, we already have them in. So if, if you have not already been, been entered in, uh, we apologize. Uh, but we're going to be drawing for that free grill right, at, right after um, or at the very end of service. That will be the, the, the final thing we do before we walk out. But even as we're talking about today, men and fathers' legacies, because these two trajectories and paths equal, like, what legacy are you going to leave? And men, I hope you're thinking about legacy. Because so many men are so concerned with having a good time instead of leaving a great legacy. We're in the moment without thinking, gener without thinking gener gener generationally. Without thinking about how is what I am doing right now affecting generations after me? How is how I am relating with my children and my sons and my daughters right now? What kind of legacy is this leaving behind? And a lot of the root of why we see a Jesus-like legacy and a kind of like jacked up legacy, Adam, Adam legacy, is because temptation. How we ultimately handle temptation. So these two paths today aren't just about temptation, they are, but ultimately, since it's Father's Day, I wanna talk about how those ultimately lead to what kind of legacy as a man and father you will leave, especially as a man of God. So let's talk about these two paths. The first one's Genesis 3, chapter, is chapter three, verses one through seven. This is the story, this is Genesis, the book of beginnings. One of the things I love about the Bible is it tells us four, four things where we came from, what's right and wrong, why we're on this planet, and where we're going. Four questions you all want to know. In your worldview, whatever that is, better address those. But that's what I love ab about the Bible. We don't have to wonder. We believe we were created in the image of God. That in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And some people say, well, was it seven literal days that God created the world? Or was it, did the day symbolize years? I don't know. Science says it's billions of years old. 
So I have no clue, but what I do care about is in the beginning, God. We start, we start with him. We start with that. We're just not primordial sludge that came together by chance. We just didn't all come together by some random boom, right? We believe not in the beginning, bang, in the beginning, God, okay? That got us to this point, right? So one of the things we see as God created the world, he created people. He was ruling over them. They, were, they had freedom in this garden, well, then they find this point where they are, where, where, but God gave them boundaries. Do you know love equals, bound, ba, equals boundaries? Love is not just whatever, whenever. No, there are certain things as me, my wife and I, we got boundaries. I'm not going to do stuff with other women that I do with her. I'm not going to say certain things to other women that I say to, say to her. And, and, and vice versa. So in God's love, he gave Adam and Eve boundaries. In his love, but he gave them so much freedom. He said, anything here, anything you want to do, but this one tree, it's mine. Stay away from it. But if you have kids, you know how this works. They got the whole house to play with. Jackson, yeah, I see you. This is, this is what kids do. Play, you can play with anything, but stay away from this. Whoa, what, this, this line here? Right? Because we, you know there's a root of where that came from, and we're about to read it. Genesis chapter, chapter 3, this is what it says. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the, the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, is it 1152? Oh, my God. All right, y'all, we're going we to have to move. <laughs> Sorry. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the tree from any, from not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not to, that we are not allowed to eat. God said, well, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she what? Ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who's just standing there like a, like a log. When he should have been like, put that fruit down, girl. You know what God said? But what was he doing? Standing idly by as his family went to destruction. This is the story of a lot of 2022. And this is a trajectory, men. This can be a, tra a your job, men, is to lead your families away from Satan, not towards them. And you are the priest in your home. You are the spiritual leader in your home. She gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate it too. It was a, you, know, and you, she, you know, who knows, but she probably said, hey, babe, this tastes pretty good. You should try it. Really? You don't want to try it? You know, like, who knows what could have happened? <laughs> Use your imagination where that conversation would go. So at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sued fig leaves. Like, y'all, this is the story of us. We can blame them, but honestly, if you were there, they would have just baited the hook with something else. Mine, it would have been Cinnabon. Jesus said we can't, or God said we can't have none of this Cinnabon tree. Come on, man. 
All right, look. So we got to analyze this. What can we learn? Temptation went wrong here. First thought. Temptation will always include questioning God's standard, flat-out lying, and assassinating the character of God. Did God really say? This is the conversation you'll have because there will be things you desire that feel so normal, that feel so right, that you know are not God's best, and then that little voice, well, did God really say that? Was it that line? Because you've got this little internal lawyer that wants to defend our actions. Because really, deep down, we, we want to be God. So you have to make sure when you're being tempted, you have to understand. The question will come up, did God really say? And that's when you have to find out. And typically, you find out in the company of wisdom. You, you need to get outside of your own voice, outside of your own head. Ask some people. Let's, let's really see what, what God says. Secondly, though, it says, like, the devil just flat out lies, y'all. Like, y'all got to know the devil will come to steal, kill, and destroy. He will bait the hook with whatever he's got to bait it because he doesn't care what you have as long as he has you. He doesn't care what you have. The more money, the more girls, more, more homes, more boats, more motorcycles, more status, more... He doesn't care what you have because he doesn't... Because he wants you. And we'll see that in this next narrative. He was going to give Jesus everything because he, he didn't care what he had as long as he had as long as he had the soul. Be careful. The devil will lie to you. You'll even lie to yourself. All right, lastly, assassinating the character of, of God. What the devil did, the devil said, man, let me tell you this. God knows when you eat that, you're going to be just like him. He's scared. He's holding something back from you. What a sucky God he, he, he is. And I'm, and I'm serious, you will find yourself in places like this. When you are tempted, you'll be questioning the goodness of God. Just know that should be a siren in your soul. The temptation is getting real. And the danger is there. Secondly, though, temptation is never about the thing. It's about what the thing represents. Is there anything wrong with fruit at its core? No. And really, what you're typically tempted by is something that at its core isn't bad. But it's taking something that is inherently good, made by God, putting it in a place that of God, and then what you end up doing is when you take a good thing and put it as a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing. It wasn't just about the fruit. It wasn't just like, oh, he ate an apple, he's a bad guy. No, the fruit represented them wanting to put themselves in the place of God because they said, my standard for what is best and true is what I think instead of what God thinks. And this is a whole lot, because, y'all, there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with being in power. There, 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 is, there is nothing wrong with, a, like, all of this stuff. Inherently, there, there is nothing wrong with it. But when it is used as a way to put you in the place of God and putting your standard above God's standard, then the good things can be taken and used for bad things. What we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to take whatever that thing is, and redeem it. Receive it, reject it, or redeem it. For instance, money. We don't reject money because even Jesus used money. But we don't just say, well, whatever. We're just going to get as much as we possibly can because we just want to be safe and secure and comfortable. No, we redeem money, meaning we buy it back and use it for its originally intended purpose, which is to be generous and to fund and move forward the kingdom of God while providing for our basic necessities. 
So we don't reject, we don't just receive, we do what? We redeem it. Let's talk about sex. <gasps> Said sex in church. Yes, I did. We don't reject it, right? We're not like, oh, sex can be abused, it's bad. No, we, we, we say let's use it for what God originally intended he created it for. So we don't reject it, we don't just say, well, whatever, whenever. No, we redeem it and put it back in its rightful place. Alcohol, this one makes me laugh. Because it's like you got people, you know I mean, I, mean I, I know Christians, they're like, you drink alcohol, you're going to hell. You drink alcohol, it's a sin. So when Jesus came and turned water into wine, did, did Jesus sin? No, it was grape juice. There's a Greek word for grape juice in the Greek language that was not used when it was translated. It distinctly said wine. So we don't reject alcohol. We just don't say, let's get drunk and eat, sleep, and be merry and get drunk. We use it for its, we, we redeem it. We say, how can this be used to glorify God and, and, at the, and at the same time not, you know, like not put it in an abusive place and in a place where it has dominion over you, where you can't say no? It's not just about the thing. It's about the thing the thing represents. Are you seeing this? Don't be someone that's like, oh, you, you know, all, all this is bad or whatever, whatever. No, let's dive in and say, what is this thing really about? Because that will help you as you are looking at the temptation. Okay, let's dive into the other temptation narrative, which is about Jesus. This one we just studied. You saw the assassinated the character of God. The devil flat out lied. Like you, 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 you see how temptation went wrong here and the consequences of it. That is a trajectory. But now we're going to get into the trajectory of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. This is what it says. It says, and this was written by, by the historian Luke who put together an orderly account of Jesus' life and put it together in written form. And he gives this account to us. He says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Can we just pause right there? Led by the Spirit into a dry season. Can we just pause right there? right there because some of y'all you are in a dry season and you're almost damning god why am i here what did i do maybe the spirit has you there for a reason maybe the spirit has taken you to a place where you feel like there is nothing going on because he wants to get your attention it says he was led by the spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days now it doesn't say he was led out there to be tempted. It said in the wilderness he was tempted because the devil will typically go to you and tempt you the most in your driest season. What my, what my pastoral oversight, Pastor Patrick Grass, who's, who is, who's gonna be here on July 10th with us, he told me, John, when you're in a wilderness season, halt. You're gonna be hungry for only God knows what, angry, lonely, and tired. Halt. When you are there, you are more susceptible, and you have to be on your guard, especially when you are in a wilderness season. Why? Be because you, you know, you want to feel sorry for, you, for yourself. You think you shouldn't be here. You're processing all this stuff internally, externally, 
And so, but it says here, he wasn't led into the, like he wasn't tempted by God, but he was led into the wilderness. And while he was in the wilderness, the devil knew he was weak because he didn't eat for 40 days. So the devil wanted to come to him at his weakest moment. It says he didn't eat for 40 days. He became hungry, hungry. It says, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, right? So the devil starts chattering, man. Don't you know the devil starts chattering when, when you're hungry? Well, you know, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, just tell the stone to, to become bread. Is there anything wrong with stones or bread? You can talk. Is there anything wrong with stones or bread? But what did they represent? It represented Jesus providing something for himself that his father said no to. But Jesus told him. He said, nope. Dr. Phil says, no. No, Oprah. He said, no, the, the, the what? Scriptures? Jesus quoting scripture? He said, people don't live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. He said, I will give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord and serve your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump. For the scriptures say, the devil is quoting scripture. That's how dirty he is. To Jesus. He literally says, well, the scriptures say, why? Because he's trying to do whatever he's got to do to get Jesus' soul. Y'all got to be careful. Not everyone who says a scripture is speaking from God's viewpoint. I'm telling y'all be careful about TikTok Christianity. You be scrolling and these people be saying some crazy stuff. And, and you're like, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. And really what you're trying to find is just somebody to agree with you. You don't want the truth. You want someone to do, come into alignment with the truth you've already determined to be true instead of coming into God's word sub, submitted and saying, help me understand the truth. You've got your truth, and you're trying to find people to agree with your truth. And you can just scroll and find it all day long in this culture. Be careful of TikTok. There's some good stuff on TikTok. I, I love TikTok. Let me tell you why. I'm getting some good recipes. I'll be making some good stuff, good, some good workout tips. But y'all be careful. Not everyone who says scripture is using the scripture in its proper context. That's why you need to know how to rightly divide the word of God. And not just take everything I say, well, pastor. No, you can pick up a fork too. You've got Bibles on your phone. Is it going to be messy? Are you sometimes going to read and not know what you're reading? Yes, but if the hunger is there, the action will follow. We are in the most biblically drenched Nation of the world, yet the most biblically illiterate. And that's not a, cond it's not a condemnation. It is I understand because you have so many options for entertainment. You've got so many options to get your attention. You've got so many options to distract you. And if you are not intentional, then, then this, this word that Jesus was able to respond with, when the temptation comes, you'll be like, yeah, uh, Jesus wept. That's a scripture, right? The shortest scripture in all the Bible. Well, in the beginning, God. You know, and, you know, 
before I lay my head down to sleep. You know, you saying anything you know. But I'm, I'm joking, but what I'm saying is, like, you, we've, we've got to get to this point where, where we can do exactly what Jesus said and be like, you can respond. Because if you don't even know the truth, how can you decipher a lie? Right? But I'm saying this is built up. See, Jesus here had been training for this moment. His whole life, of, I mean, he, he didn't start this until he was 30 years old, but Jesus entered into a life of training where at 12 years old, the historian Luke said, where was Jesus? He was in the temple learning, growing, asking questions. That's it, he grew in favor with God and man. So when he was at this moment of, of, he was at this moment of temptation, he had already prepped for it because he was ready and prepared to speak the word of God. It wasn't just, just an inspiring moment where he remembered a scripture 17 years ago he had learned. This is something that had been drilled and drenched into him. So I'm, I'm not saying just learn a couple of scripture verses and you'll be good. I'm talking about there was a reason why Jesus was able to say no because he had trained for this moment. What I heard one Navy SEAL say, you, oh Jesus, okay. He said, we don't, we don't perform up to, come on, come on somebody, somebody help me. We don't perform up to, but we sink to the level of our training. I, it, it's something like that. We don't, uh, we don't rise to the uh, occasion. You sink to the level of your training. Let me say that one more time. We don't rise to the uh, occasion. We typically sink to the level of our training. That makes sense? And that's what I think we, well, like, well, you know, when I get in the moment, I'll just be, I'll just have goodwill. No, you'll typically sink to the level you've trained at. And that's what Jesus was doing here at his lowest moment, 40 days hungry, starving. He sunk to the level of his training. And at the very core of the emptiness of him was the word of God. But the, but the devil's quoting scripture. What a punk. He said, and he's quoting Psalm 91. He says, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. All right, we gotta move. All right, so look, the first thing is this. The second trajectory, Jesus' trajectory. First off, Jesus' identity was secure before the temptation came. Y'all, you gotta know who you are in Christ. Before Jesus encountered this temptation, the story right, right before this, as he was baptized, as he was baptized and coming out of, out of the water, it says that there was a voice from heaven. It was God, the Father's voice, telling his son, you are my son with whom I love, and I am very well pleased with you. His affirmation of his son and Jesus receiving that affirmation as being the son of God and, and basically getting that kind of like cosmic attaboy, your love, not for what you do because of who you are, made Jesus secure. So when he was tempted, he knew who he was and whose he was. And if you don't know that, you will be going for whatever is flying out there. Even when, even when you see Paul addressing the church in Corinth, the crazy church, the church, and we're going to do a series on the church in Corinth one day. This church was getting drunk at communion. This church was doing incest. This, this, this church was crazy. Bunch of crazy stuff going on. But when he was writing to them and talking to them, Paul, when he was addressing their, their behavior, he didn't say, you suck because you did these things. He said, hey, I just want to remind you, this stuff you're doing, this is not you. This is not you. 
You were washed. You were cleansed. You were like, like this is what Jesus did for you. This is who you are. And this, this stuff you're doing is not you anymore. So why are you doing it? That's your old life. That's your old trajectory. That's your old nature. No, you've been given a new nature through the Spirit of God to walk in the way of Jesus. What was he doing? He wasn't condemning them for what they did. He was reminding them of who they were. And that's what we do at our church. You know, like, and and I'll be honest, the first thing we want to do if we see someone doing something crazy, we're not like, why are you doing that? You suck. No, is that, are you, what are you doing? That's not God's best. That's not who you are. If you're a brother or sister who, who affirms the name of Jesus, there's something better for you. And this isn't it. But here's the thing. I Because Jesus knew who he was, he had this ability to, say, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And I believe until you really know who you are in Christ, even just the word study in Christ, Google it, look it up, and just start to affirm yourself with these things in your spirit, in your conscious, in your sub, in your sub in your subconscious. Why? Because you need to know who you are because if you don't know who you are, you won't know what to do. Oh, okay. Nextly, though. Nextly. That's not a word. That's how tired I am. Okay. uh, Temptation must be confronted with God's truth. Jesus responded with, it is written. Jesus lived, this this is mind-blowing. Jesus lived with boundaries. God's, God's written word. How do we think we can live any diff- different? It's amazing to me how many people love Jesus but have no desire to know what this says. When it's like Jesus lived with boundaries, how do we think we can do any differently? But the boundaries were boundaries of love. Any good parent gives their kids boundaries. They just don't say, hey, go play in the front yard. If you see some traffic, go have some traffic time. No, you give them boundaries. You put a fence in. You... You put something in to let them know if you do that, it's not good for you. And I find it absolutely wild how Christians will not want to submit to something outside of them. All right. Whose trajectory will you take? Literally, there's two different ways here. You've got the trajectory Adam who kind of gave in, just, just, just kind of got tempted Question God, flat out lied. Like just there, there is a path and there is a path. You can, can come up, Jarvis. And there's a path the way of Jesus. You see how they handled temptation in these two moments. Adam listened to, to the devil. Jesus said, it is written, devil. Right? Adam stood, stood there idly by as his wife was tempted and led away by Satan. Jesus at his lowest moment stood up and took responsibility and said yes though everything inside of him was probably wanting to say no but he was thinking about the legacy he would leave and the lives he would save and he had you in mind when he was thinking about saying no to the devil and that is why these two trajectories it's not just about temptation and i pray today you've heard like how this can help you as you're tempted with whatever you're going to be tempted with because it's not if you're tempted but when you'll you'll but when you'll be tempted but even beyond the temptation i hope you see men and guys here these are two paths you will take and determine what kind of legacies you will leave for your kids and your family and i'm passionate about this why because my heart and desire for lifehouse is we would have a, 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 a church full of men, not perfect men, but perfect, but imperfect men that want to follow a perfect God. 
and that are willing to be vulnerable, are willing to, are willing to be vulnerable and willing to admit they're not perfect. And I know how most guys are in church. There's this kind of wall that goes up. I ain't letting you get near me. I ain't letting you see my stuff. I know who you are. You just want my money. You want my wife to give her time. And, you know, all of, the, all of, all of these things. But my prayer is that we would have a church full of men who will take a trajectory and path towards leaving a legacy like Jesus. That won't just say, we're gonna just give into our, to our brokenness, let Satan take our families down crazy paths. No, we will take the route and the responsibility of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.